Hello there, this is Cassia. And this is Coden. And welcome to The Ebon Hawk, a podcast where we discuss the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic games, as well as all things Star Wars. Today we'll be talking episodes 7 and 8 of The Mandalorian with For Mandalore, aka T-Bob and Nick. We'll discuss Taika Waititi directing rumors and answer a viewer question. This is episode 13, and this is where the level 1313 begins. So for Mandalore, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah. Uh, what's up? My name is T-Bob Abair. Um, I host a radio show down in South Louisiana, and uh, that is where I met this guy. I am Nick Ashton. Turn on T-Bob's radio show and hopefully working my way back up field. But for now, me and T-Bob are chopping it up here in the lab talking all things the mandalorian and star wars on our own podcast format so nick is a uh i have actually never played kotor unfortunately huge gap in my own star wars <laughs> experience that there is no great excuse for because i love star wars games um, um but nick is a kotor expert we both oh, that's great we were hyped for mandalorian and we wanted really uh die Dive in, like do like a you know do a podcast where we talk about the episodes and knew that Nick's Kotor knowledge, which seems to be becoming more, and some of the things that are being done, and then, um, just you know I've seen all like Clone Wars, went through Rebels right now, so yeah, we're just just big Star Wars fans. It's a lot of fun. Nick is like Nick's a decade younger than me though. Wow, <laughs> wow, unreal, unreal. Yeah, hopefully I don't have to like relearn all my lore with uh remakes but i guess that's a conversation for later <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, are confirmed yeah definitely yeah. I mean the whole thing is but i don't know it's a good time we're, we're you know i'm also i guess i should say i'm a bit of a star wars fanboy. i don't really dislike any of it i just like some of it less than i like other parts of it i i, I really do like all star wars that's a good place to be <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, I, I was really hoping with that, with the uh, with the new stars, but it's like, you know, there's those bits and pieces that dig into you, but, you know, overall, I'm still just excited that we're still seeing new Star Wars content, and I've been really impressed with at least some of it, and so I'm excited to see what our future has with Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, I would, uh, I would point out to T-Bob a lot uh, uh, when we were in the middle of our breakdowns, just to kind of stop and take a look at the, the content we're getting and the rate that we're getting that content. I mean, it, at one point, I think this was near the beginning of our podcast, we were having The Mandalorian, we were having Fallen Order drop, and we were having in like yeah. a week, if not a few days span. And I just like had to like sit in awe of that for like a few like minutes, just Eve, like through all the waves of content we've been in our lives. This is the most inundated and arguably one of the best quality runs of content really experienced in our lifetimes. I mean, 
and yeah. you got like Rebels, which is fantastic. You got the final Clone Wars season on the horizon, which you know they put resources in, so it's gonna be. And they also like we were talking off air before we started recording, Code, and you were about how like you know with, with like Clone Wars and with Rebels, because it's a kid show, there's already these like ancillary adventure episodes or these little side pieces. But as that show goes deeper in its run, it's almost like a Trojan horse. It just just kind of transfers into being full like good star wars like great star wars and so they do that same thing with rebels i feel like now with this final season of clone wars they can like there's something there's well, something they can, coming. They, yeah, they, like... they can start they, they don't have to worry about making the ancillary children that absolutely yeah they're making this they, ha- they have it's all epic with that. Uh, yeah they're, right, they're, they're right. making it for the, the the huge star wars fans so it is going to be epic so yeah i think blessed star wars time and even though the obi-wan shows going through some stuff you still have you and mcgregor attached to an obi-wan yeah show. so speaking of being blessed with a uh, good star wars content let's discuss the finale like aka episode seven and eight of the mandalorian so chapter seven it, it's called the reckoning and it was directed by deborah chow who is going to be over the Kenobi show, and yep. it was written by John Favreau, and it was released a couple days before Rise of Skywalker. So when this one began, two sentence summary or maybe a paragraph summary, like the Mandalorian returns to Navarro at the behest of Grief Karga, and it's obviously a trap. Like it's a trap, guys. You know. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. they're like, we want the baby, and then everything will be good and the mando is like "Mm, i need some i need some i need a team before i go back so they they bring back cara dune and quill so episode seven what did you guys think oh man there's there's so much to unpack yeah yeah uh i mean i love first off cara dune and quill are Top notch no characters. Doubt. Unbelievable plant acting uh by character. I love Gina Carano. She's phenomenal. Probably one of the best Star Wars characters we've seen in recent memory. A good, a very good piece of casting to me. Um, in the background, very much makes her look like the badass that she is. Like, like when she yeah. she looks better than like whoever even the stunt guy for Mando is. Yeah. Like, like yeah. she is out there right. like beat ass and i got one daughter right now and i got another daughter on my way and that one thing i've always loved about star wars leia and ray i love ray and and now characters like cara dune that she can look up to if she just wants like a kicks ass so and, and then um nick nolte i think does spectacular whoever wrote quill wrote really impressive lines where he talks about droids just being a neutral reflection of their owners and then his whole i have spoken catch line um yeah i i I love the team that mando has assembled here i think all of those elements for quill t-bob like you said are very very important to establishing his character but i think you really got to hand it to nick nolte for playing quill unlike anybody else i mean i really could not imagine another actor voicing that character so we Cassie, do you know Nolte voiced Quill 
who was mm-hmm. was there somebody in the suit and then i think the face was animatronic like i don't know that's what i'm guessing does anybody have any in- i i think that for some of it they had makeup on top of nick nolte for some of it and then oh, for okay. some of the shots i think they had a little person that makes sense so. that makes sense that's the old uh lord of the rings peter jackson technique yeah right? like they, they did some crazy cr- trick make hobbits and dwarves work um but yeah so i mean i i think first off one thing i love about this too if so if you haven't done this i'd recommend it to anybody Watching the episode as if they're one long movie is a lot of fun. I should and do it's that. And it's a good movie too. It's a really, pack. really good, good action star. And it's a classic, um, we call it a classic Dave Filoni too. Whether it's Clone Wars or Rebels, he loves ending and beginning with great kind of multi episode, uh, almost mini movies like. And this was. Um, yeah. Yeah, he nailed this. I think we had someone on the podcast, T-Bob. I think Jesse was he the one that said that it might be a two-part, or was that you? No, that was uh, that was me. That oh, was okay. Boy. <laughs> yeah. I actually yeah, did but... this when I showed this to uh, some family of mine where I skipped one episode. I skipped the episode where they where the Mandalorian goes and does kind of that bounty contract with a the rescue of the Twi'lek. And uh, but I uh, okay the prison break yeah the prison break prison break's actually pretty but the prison break's really good the only one I really didn't like with the young bounty sorry Coden what were you saying though oh yeah like I think for me when when I was kind of going through like this point or like start to finish watching all the Mandalorian episodes was we skipped that particular one because it didn't quite contribute to the like the overall story like it it was it was good on its own. But the episode started to kind of feel that way, especially with that episode. And so showed the series as like one cohesive story. We left that one out while we did kind of all of them at once. And then so and, then, and that is interesting. Yeah, we, we've talked about that a lot, right? It definitely feels like there's two different types of shows here where, you know, some of them are like basically moving that main story along. And then to me, I don't know if y'all have ever watched Firefly, but some just kind of like feel like Firefly episodes, right? Yeah. You get a mission, you make a little money there. Maybe there's like a little bit to advance the story, but I actually found that I enjoyed that because, you know, I liked what I was watching. Um, I think that is one of the advantages that a TV show has over a movie. If you have a almost like a short story you want to ride or a side adventure, that can be, yeah, I think, I think that. It can be a lot of fun. Now that said, definitely the one with the young uh, bounty hunter. So, yeah, I'm not saying that they're always going to hit on those, but for the most part, I, the Prison Break one is a really fun, self-contained adventure. Yeah, T dice that up, and we were talk- talking about um, a pattern we were seeing. I think this was earlier on in our um, experience doing the podcast. We kind of broke down, okay, we've seen this episode go, episode one was very plot, episode two not as much, episode three point, I was kind of posing the question to you as, what would we see? Would we see a pattern that's like really clear and defined, or yeah. would we see more sporadic movement? And I think it got a little bit more sporadic, but I think either way you're going to It was a large it. gap before they moved yes. the main plot yes, forward. I think there, so you were talking 
about code and i agree like it's like a little two or three episode sequence but i think in either instance i think you enhance the plot even if you're not really doing actions in the episode because you get a little bit more sentimental feelings for the characters you know you, you feel like you've been on an adventure with them yeah, yeah until you learn their quirks right? right until you learn their uh you know yeah grow those bonds uh like i loved Cara Dune because i saw them escape that village together yeah. uh when they were chilling back in the day and so yeah yeah i i mean it's it's really nice to see tv star wars with a lot of money and behind it it's so great it's yeah. Really yeah have you seen the behind the scenes pictures of like it was all filmed on a sound stage and how they did that i have heard about this and i love behind the scenes i'm a huge 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 making of guy i love all that so i definitely need to look this up because it seems like they used like very creative, like imagineer Disney solutions to to up the production value. Yeah, I kind of wonder if like John Favreau, if like he's like, okay, I'll do Lion King, but we're gonna use this technology to advance, you know, the Mandalorian or something. I mean, but... look, I don't. Then now, I mean, Favreau is hip with Star Wars, so like, yeah, I wouldn't put any. <laughs> past him in terms of, of his ambitions for the because i mean if, if if i mean i'll never forget back in the day favreau was one of the ones really pushing kevin feige's idea or whoever had the original idea shared marvel universe like when he made iron man i think it was oh, kevin yeah, feige know, no Fe i think i think i think feige was i think that was his brainchild but favreau as the director of iron man was very much on board and kind yeah. of pound. I remember that original Comic Con when they were talking about Iron Man. He was like, "Yeah, you know," and like, and it sounded so crazy at the time. But you look now, so I guess that's all to say. Who knows what kind of ambitious ideas Favreau and Filoni and I always forget the third partner's name. Uh, it's bad of me, but who knows what kind of ideas they they have cooking? Kathleen Kennedy is that the third? No, no, no. It's it's another female though. She's a um producer on uh I can't remember. I can't remember. No, Kennedy still has the overall controls. And I know a lot of people are on the fence about Kennedy. Um there's been, you know, getting involved productions a few times, Rogue One, Solo, uh, even now this Obi One thing's on hold indefinitely. That said, I haven't disliked the end products of those. I've actually liked them. So the ends justify the means I I don't know. I think it is a bit ironic that Kathleen Kinney and Disney seem to get very involved in the direction in the director's visions for these movies. And the whole reason why George Luke owned movie studio was because he hated studios. Yeah. Now it's the studio movie. is kind of dictating yeah. everything. It's yeah, right. kind of you know, it is a little ironic. <laughs> so yeah, yes, for, yes. for George, it must feel a bit, you know, he, he is a, Obi Wan, he trained up Anakin, and then Anakin <laughs> went full dark side. Bob yeah. Iger's the uh, the emperor back there. But, uh, oh, Kennedy the world will be owned Iger, by yes. Disney. I actually really like, I actually really like yes. Kennedy, but I don't know. It's... Yeah, so we haven't talked about something very important: uh, the Baby Yoda of it all. In Episode Seven, we see the first on-screen overtly force heal in episode seven what did you guys think of that it was bringing something back from legends 
I don't know exactly. I mean, I like the idea of force heal because of what I know about the force. Like, as I understand it, it doesn't feel like a disconnect or a reach to me. Um, I think that you have to be supremely powerful. And so I think that we have to keep in mean, someone of Yoda's race to it, who we don't know much about Yoda's race, but I think we can assume that they are incredibly forced. And then we've seen like Ray do it. So you're talking about, you know, two of the most powerful force users that we've ever seen. Like, I don't think that this is a power that will become, I could be wrong here. I don't think it's a power common to your uh, lesser force wielders. And I think Cassie and Cody, I think you guys would appreciate kind of the, the bridge this makes to KOTOR because that is kind of a level up power that you Yeah. And, you know, not seeing it as represented in different media that we've had in the past, whether it be movies or TV shows, I think seeing that oh. making a real theatrical TV show, whatever you want to call it, bridge into something you can see actors do, I think that does a lot for in-game experience of KOTOR because it's not just like, oh, I'm pressing a button and this aura is now around me and I'm better. It's like, I kind of get what is going on right there. So, okay, so, is, so is, that sounds like it's actually more common than I'm giving in terms of, and that would make sense because really the majority of the live action Star Wars we've is with a Star Wars where they've kind of lost the techniques, right? Like the original trilogy is kind of like the Dark Ages. So they're back to like the Force basics. So like in KOTOR, most Jedi have that ability. It's like a level, and you guys might know this off the top of your heads. Uh, um, gosh, it, uh, level like five power maybe? Yeah, and like I, I, any I Jedi it, character it, can unlock it. So yeah, if you go to the base on Korriban and pick a fight with the Dark Jedi, they'll probably use Force Heal on themselves. Okay, okay. So okay, hell yeah. So it is, so so it's pretty common. Okay, yeah. so 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 maybe I'm wrong. And maybe this is kind of the rediscovering of ancient knowledge. Yeah, but, um, and I guess also... this is all to say that Baby Yoda can. One thing that I really liked about how they portray Force Heal in both the Mandalorian and in the Disney trilogy is that, you know, depending on how much you're force healing, you're kind of, you're making that trade. You're making a trade of a little bit of your own yeah. energy with, with baby Yoda. It, it caused him to pass out. And with, with Ray and Kylo Ren, they're, they're literally like trading their life force. Cause they're, they're yeah. bringing people back from the dead essentially. And Which so is another KOTOR 2 power. Yeah. Yeah. By the sea, really? Yeah, you can. Uh, it's like I don't know what it's called in the game, but you can sacrifice your vitality points to increase your force points. Oh, okay. And it's 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 nice because I think otherwise it would have been just this giant. I want to say like X Machina moment where it's just like, oh, of course, yep, they they can force heal now. But it it really gives you that that idea that when these Jedi they want to do this for somebody, they have to make that hard decision of this could be detrimental to myself to help this other person and it shows kind of that level of of selflessness in the act itself which i really like yeah yeah and it's got, it's got full metal alchemist like everything has a price right like a little bit of balance also i think that it's really cool playing coach that y'all almost have this historical anchor to grab onto where it does feel like rediscovered knowledge, like the yeah. ancient techniques are being brought back. I, lo I love kind of piecing together that, that lore, especially know how much of it even technically exists. Yeah, a lot of people are surprised, but like, yeah. I'm like, it's in KOTOR, it's, it's fine, you yeah, know? Yeah, 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 right, right. 
right, right, right. Exactly. Well, exactly. And I was a bit surprised, but this makes yeah. So I mean, I Coden, I want to ask you, um, since you were talking uh, recently about that, it's a sacrifice on Baby Yoda's part. That in any way is a hint towards his alignment or potential in the Force. I think it's merely just a level of uh, maybe just understanding of how the Force works. I made this discussion a couple episodes ago where why Republic-era Jedi or Republic-era Sith wouldn't use it, where a Republic-era Jedi kind of see life as something that comes and goes, and so they don't use it. It kind of breaches the form of attachment, whereas Sith won't uh, use it because uh, they're a bit selfish, and so they don't want to trade their life to save somebody else, and so they just won't do it. But they can only drain. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And especially the Sith kind of self narcissistic, probably more than self. Yeah. yeah. And like especially in the in the Republic era of the Jedi Order, there's there's a lot of these these rules that the Jedi have, like the, the Jedi Code that is enforced by like Yoda and Mace Windu and the rest of the Jedi Council that are later kind of seen as a little bit convoluted identified by Luke Skywalker and like an older Obi-Wan and, and an older Yoda even. And there's a lot more to it than just a code that defines whether you're good or evil. And I think that's very well kind of explained in these Disney stories in the Mandalorian as well. That's really interesting. I've never drawn a line between Republic era Jedi and old Republic Jedi, but just from the, code tour comic books you let me borrow nick uh it does seem like code tour jedi maybe are a little less um it feels like a little less strict maybe because there's more of them like there's getting through the cracks or there's more splits and ideologies like there's yeah i mean they, they had a whole splinter group the whole uh rep you know yeah. of people literally being uh sacrificed exile to go fight in the mandalorian wars yeah you know i think that that goes way way back and i think you do but you, you're right you know when you look at the movie especially in uh episode four and after there is really like extremely like handful at most selection of jedi you know and i think even in the clone wars era where you're there you know going down every day there's still like infinitely more i think in that old republic era so you get more more points of view and more yeah interpretation it's it's definitely star wars i guess star wars is kind of, kind of like a story that generally takes place in a fallen society almost like a dark age society where you don't have the uh technological prowess or, or kind of i got a question for y'all cassian are y'all ready for yeah. the return of to a galactic power I with was, a force wielding Yoda in Mandalorian armor at the forefront <laughs> of the Mandalorian Legion. Are, are you talking a Yoda Lorian? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. When you went full Yoda Lorian, three hundred years in the future, when he's in his physical and the mud, the Mudhorn tribe has taken over. He's gonna have the dark saber. He's gonna have a jetpack, and he's gonna and have Mandalorian. Forever. Oh yes. man, the uh, the reincarnation <laughs> of uh, Death Watch being held by little Yoda. Oh man, I I would be more yes, excited exactly. for Baby Yoda to be a Mandalorian than like oh wow another Jedi, you know? Yes, so. yes. 
Yeah. Yes. One thousand percent. I mean, that, that would be such a fresh take to the universe that we just haven't really seen. And I yeah. mean, and let's be, I mean, at the end of episode eight or during episode eight here, when the blacksmith tells him like, hey, he's your charge now. Now, she doesn't say train him yet because she's like, no, he would die. Maybe she doesn't realize the power that, that he has. She basically says he's your, he's your, and then he gets the signet and he has a clan of two. Well, guess what that clan of two is going to do. They're going to get more. And, and then you got Filoni and Favreau controlling the Star Wars universe. And like, do we see a movie set in the far flung future with adult babies? In full year. Adult Yoda. My goodness. Adult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love this. I, want... I love this piece of art that I saw. It's kind of poking at one of the Mandalorian pieces of art where it's got it's got Mando and he's kind of like walking towards the camera, but instead of Mando, it's, it's little Yoda and he's got Mandalorian full battle armor on and he's yeah. he's just like staring That's you down. The full intense. Beskar armor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what are you gonna do? If if a force wielder, the level of a Yoda, is in Beskar armor, and like think about the athleticism you saw from old Yoda in Attack of the Clones. Not to say that it's all one to one, but that's the only thing that we have to judge if I take that athletic, put that with Mandalorian combat training and techniques, Beskar armor, force throw in a dark saber for good measure, Oof. and you probably have the single most badass combat warrior that at the universe, the galaxy. You just hope Baby Yoda's a light sider, you know? Like, yeah. if, if he were on the dark side, like, there's, like, no, the galaxy would just bow before Baby Yoda, you know? What, what we're going to see is so we're going to see in, in little Yoda voice, he's going to say, I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. <laughs> He'd probably switch up the sentence structure, though. But... <laughs> yeah, bring you in cold, I can. <laughs> but, okay, so that, the, you, you mentioned Cassie. Hopefully he's a light side. And I think that's an, an important thing to point out, or maybe not important because I don't know if it's true, but it's how I feel is that like light doesn't mean Jedi, right? Light and dark no. is, that's a moral and ethical thing. That's like, do are you a good person? How do you treat people? How do you treat those that are maybe not as fortunate as you? Do you help people? Do you have like a justice regardless of laws? Like, and so I agree with you. Hopefully he would be on the light side. I don't want any anybody think that, that we're saying that he should be a jedi because yeah like you said i don't yeah just aligned with the light side of the force maybe like, like a little gray maybe like a, well i mean that's thing i guess jedi will kill you too to a few <laughs> dark side skill tree be restricted by arm so. actually uh <laughs> we've already seen a little gray let's not just as big as force heal we saw baby yoda do force it's definitely a matter yeah. of perspective, right? Like, it, Baby Yoda is essentially on the Mandalorian side, and and so he's interpreting. Yes. Like, is this harming the Mandalorian? Is this, or is this helping the Mandalorian? And he kind of acts accordingly, right? But the Mandalorian isn't all that. I mean, he's he's I think mostly good. Like a D and D term, he's kind of like a chaotic good, where he's definitely made some decisions in the for the sake of say like money but that doesn't mean that he's like made bad decisions to specifically yeah. get gain like typically there's a there's a higher order that he's still following uh, a part of being the mandalorian order but that's i mean that's a matter of perspective like to him he's he's good 
to other people, he could be an enemy. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you are truly lost. I can't do a Ewan McGregor. <laughs> yeah, it, it was Isn't interesting to get his uh, name reveal. Like, and to Which have wasn't a that like a great way of establishing badass uh, Grand Moff? Gideon. Uh, Gideon. When he like just gives everybody his history. Hey, wait, wait, wait. You know that? You know that? You know that? Like, yeah. I, I, I was um really taken aback that they went that far in season one, though. Like, Cassie and Coda, what did you guys think that they did the face and name reveal in the first season when they planned to do more episodes? I was okay to learn his face and his name. It was kind of accidentally spoiled to me that his face was going to be revealed. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I knew what Pedro Pascal looks like because I, I yeah, watched yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so, the, fact that, the fact that his mask would come. Yeah, so I, I knew what he would look like, uh, but it was it was just interesting to see the context of, like, it would come off, like, in that episode, just like he thought he was dead. And then he, IG, is it IG-11 or IG-88? I honestly forget. IG-88 is Empire Strikes Back one. So I think then, this is IG. Yeah, IG-11, it, it's interesting. Like, it's portrayed by Taika Waititi. And he yeah, actually, sure. he dressed up kind of like motion capture. He would have the, <laughs> like, IG head on top, you know? And, like, he was I actually think acting that is, around with them. Is the, yeah, that is my favorite way to handle a CG character is in the circus, Lord of the Rings style, where you have somebody, like, out there doing all of those movements. It just kind of gives it a... It just—it feels like a performance more. I think it works. Um, it provides like an authenticity yeah, I think, I think the, that, the, like the yeah, the CG yeah, Yoda yeah. doesn't quite do. No, 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 yeah. definitely not. I mean, you can, you can feel that whenever you watch the movies in hindsight. Now, bro, Last Jedi puppet Yoda loved it. Is so good. Loved it. Last loved Jedi it. puppet Yoda is so good. That's the only, um, that's the only way you can do it, man. Like yeah. honestly, like to to give you that feel and really, I mean, I, I'm I'm honestly a sucker for fan service. I mean, to, just to, in the theater. There was just so so awesome. I mean, doing Baby Yoda as a puppet was, I mean, practical. Like that was the main thing. And there's that great story about Werner Herzog. You know, he was shooting his scene and he does it with the puppet Yoda, and then he comes back and they want him to shoot again. But Yoda's nowhere to be found. He's like, "Where's the puppet? We want to shoot one clean in case we end up doing DG." And he's like, "Whoa, whoa, no. whoa! Don't be cowards. You have something here. This little puppet is mad. You have to use him." And sure enough, it took the world by storm. The, the one thing on the map, I think important to point out is he was going to die and he was still about to blow IG's head off when the, the, the way to save his life was as simple as spraying a little back to spray on him. And he, but he was so sticking to the code and that until IG pointed it out to him, the logical loophole that, Hey, I'm not alive, bro. I'm a robot. <laughs> yeah, it's a joy. Like he was, he was going to kill IG instead of instead of show. Yeah, I think for me, when when we saw the Mandalorian's face and we heard his name, the the name, like was I think was to be expected, and uh, I think more, you know, I don't think there was anything wrong with a Mandalorian's name being revealed, but with with the face reveal. It was definitely built to be kind of like a second person telling of like, hey, audience, this is who the Mandalorian is. And so to me, I don't think I I really minded that it was done in season one. 
it, it for me when you're able to see the face of a particular character it kind of helps build that relationship between viewer and character to like be able to see a little bit more inside their head and get their perspective and which was a bit difficult through some of the episodes where you you don't really know what's going on inside the mandalorian's head because there's nothing to read it's just his face mask right you yeah. don't want the the lost scenario question mystery 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 no answers like so getting the name getting the face it makes you feel more intimate with that character i'm in full agreement yeah i mean you can't always just like it's like Chekhov's gun. You can't just say, oh, it's against the code. Like, you can't see my face. It's like, you know, you're going to see the face eventually. Wait. It's a good question wait, What is for another time. Go on, Coden. No, I'm just messing with Maz's quote from uh, The Force Awakens. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. What did y'all think? As we're getting ready to wrap here, what did y'all think about the type fighter takedown? by the mandalorian because to ah, me that was that amazing. was a, a spectacular action yeah sequence. i love yeah yeah like and it was believable uh, too i i liked how how he didn't just like get it done successfully the first time like it, it took a couple of tries uh i liked how it, he even like struggled to get to the tie fire because it's it wasn't his first time using the jetpack yes. but he was definitely rusty with using one right so it, right. it took him a bit to get to that point. And um, it was it was surprising, I think, for the most part, to see him walk out. Not not the Mandalorian, but... Uh, oh, Moff Gideon. Yeah, Moff Gideon. Thank you. It was, it was a little bit weird to see him walk out of that crash. But it's not the first time we've seen a villain do that. We've seen Kylo Ren do that in Star Wars. So, you know, maybe there is, you know, like an airbag and some the safety ratings with the TIE fighters. eyes have really... Yes, they've really think about it. Even they they crash so bad in Force Awakens, and that's why I'm like, guys, you got to go check if Moff Gideon's dead. Yeah. What? <laughs> Come if on, it's a type. If you don't see a villain die on screen, they're not dead. And even when you see the Emperor <laughs> no, Palpatine die, and still not dead somehow. So he's, he's at, yeah, he's still not. Yeah. Dead. Well, that's I mean that's that's one of my main issues with Rise of Skywalker <laughs> that they chose to go. Palpatine around with that conversation for another day. I'll see this for the TIE fighter fight. What I love too is it actually felt like real. Like it didn't like it was really well, I think and I think Coden was speaking to this. It was really kind of grounded in its execution with him hooking Jeff hanging up to get up there. And the, but like how they did the special effects, I felt like you could really feel Marvel pedigree of Taika Watiti and of John Fett because that looked looked like just like top notch filmmaking and even though they didn't have the resources that they would have had on like a marvel movie they really sold it to where i, I was never taken out of it never looked like even down to the landing and then i'm really glad them off getting to die because when i saw that dark saber in a live action star wars oof, yeah I, I, it's uh all due to dave filoni i think and dave favreau he actually he voiced Pre Vizsla in the Clone Wars, so like he has that Mandalorian connection oh, going back years. So they, Filoni wow. and Favreau, really uh, dig the Mandalorian lore, so you, you can feel that on screen. But yeah, yeah. 
I have no idea how they filmed that TIE fighter kerfluffle, like, Oh, it's actual footage. They built a TIE fighter and they flew that. No, I'm just kidding. They flew it in space. (laughs) Practical effects. Practical effects. No, I I love something here. I I do. I do love how they go. They kind of go back in time with the filming of the Mandalorian, though. I I love how uh, we were talking about with the baby Yoda being a puppet, too, where the special effects that they use are are something that would be used back in the 60s right with the original star wars yeah yeah and i think that's what really makes a lot of star wars special is just what they can do without the use of a ton of computers and how it really contributes to the overall look and feel of a good star wars film yeah like even they're just like classic sparks flying everywhere speaking of taika watiti like his name is being thrown around as like a possible future director for a future Star Wars film or trilogy. Uh, He directed and actually starred in The Mandalorian. He directed the finale, Chapter 8, The Redemption, and he he voiced and acted as IG-11, who is Quill's droid. Rest in peace, Quill. Nurse droid. He's a nurse nurse droid. droid. Yeah, he used to be an assassin, but... He changed, you know, and that shows all of us, no matter what we've done, can become better through programming. So, yes. hey, I gotta go, I gotta go flag mine down to bring me some tea. Hang on, all right. <laughs> um, but what do you guys think of Taika Waititi taking on Star Wars? Because I feel like he really can nail comedy as shown with the stormtroopers. And that the action with the TIE fighter, what do you guys think? I really found that his comedy, his style really was, I enjoyed him from the first episode until the last. And uh, particularly, I enjoyed the episode that he directed. So I think that if he had a hand in future endeavors, I think it would go great. And um, I, I just personally would be in favor of that. What we do in the shadows is hilarious. It is, it's my first tag with T that I ever he is in the movie with one of the dudes from Fly to the Concord. It's a couple guys, actually. And um, he also directed it, but it is a mockumentary out of New Zealand about these vampires living in the modern age. It's intensely funny. And then Thor Ragnarok, which I thought I was kind of done with Marvel movies. and Thor Ragnarok was just awesome. It was fun, great action, all this stuff. That was him. So now he does Mando. Oh, I've heard Jojo Rabbit, his new movie that I want to see is incredible. So he is, for me, he's reached that threshold where if his name is attached to something, I'll immediately become interested. Yeah. Yeah, I think with with the handling of the humor of Star Wars 2, I actually really liked the exchange between the two scout troopers because, you know, during oh my God. The, yes. different, the different oh my pieces God. of of Star Wars movies, you have the stormtroopers that are always talking about the latest uh the latest Skyhopper model with T15, T16. And, you know, you got a couple of scout troopers now that are just kind of sitting in the middle of the desert, completely bored. And uh, what, I mean, what would you think they'd do? Of course they pull their blasters out and start shooting an empty can. Like, it's hilarious. Oh, my goodness. And they couldn't shoot from not that far away. It was embarrassing. <laughs> oh, my. Gideon just killed the captain for interrupting him and his head just drops. He's not like a bald 
He's just like, oh shit. Really? Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> it's just, oh, it is. Uh, that, I think I. I mean, I don't think this is exactly. That is the funniest live action Star Wars scene there's ever been, in my opinion. Yeah, and like it feels organic because it like builds like you learn more about the Empire and you learn more about Moff Gideon. It's not like just out of nowhere, you know, it's building yeah. the yeah. characters in the world. So, so I, I like that. Something too is like, you know, these, I bet these scout troopers, you know, they've, they obviously know about the legacy of Darth Vader. Right. And so something as bad tempered as Moff Gideon is just like, eh, it's just another <laughs> Imperial general. Right. <laughs> Let's go ahead and wrap up, you guys. So, um, if uh, if we want to go ahead, where where can we find you guys? Um, just through SoundCloud or whatever. What what's your guys' handles? My uh, Twitter is at Nick A Ashton. That's also my Instagram. Um, our SoundCloud is for Mandalore. Um, also on Apple Podcasts under. Yeah, and I'm on Twitter at t fifty three t b o b five. Three. Awesome. Uh, yeah, hit us up if you ever want to talk Star Wars. And thank you, Cassie and Conan, so much for uh, yeah. for having This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank thanks. you for coming on. We love talking Star Wars, and you guys are guests on the Evan Hawks. So thank you so much for uh, gracing us with your presence. We really appreciate it. Thank you again for coming on. And oh, and like the. All right, though, y'all. Um, y'all have a great night, and thanks. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, thanks, guys. All we'll, right. uh, we'll catch you on the other side. Bye. <laughs> later. Yeah, we want to thank for Mandalore, T-Bob, and Nick Ashton for joining us. And uh, let's let's move on to our uh, viewer question. We'll get to that right after the break. So today's question we're going to be talking about comes from AJ Rosado from Instagram. And he says, hi, enjoy your podcast. Hard to get revving content sometimes, so appreciate it. Question for next podcast. How do you feel about the buzz around Keanu Reeves playing Revan? Do you think he's a good fit? Why or why not? I think that Keanu Reeves is amazing. He's he's having like a Keanu sense, like with John Wick, and he was in... Toy Story 4, and he's just been in many films, but especially seeing him as action role in John Wick, it was amazing to see. I think he's a great actor, and he's good at what he does. I He does look a lot like Revan, but personally, I see Revan as a bit younger, so he wouldn't be my first choice. But if Disney did end up uh, going that route, I would be on board. And I think it would be great if they took something that a lot of the fans want. But I just don't see him as my personal choice for Revan. And I'm still kind of figuring out who my first choice for Revan is. I think that a lot of people, they, uh, I think, yeah, they, they first, they're, they've got this Keanu Reeves craze with his mic drop of Cyberpunk. 
and his performance with some of his like his Toy Story role and John Wick role. When I think Keanu Reeves is a Jedi, it brings me back to his film uh, 47 and Ronin, which is mixed on whether you like that film or not. But it is a it is a samurai film and Keanu Reeves is acting as uh, Ronin in this instance, but but he does have skill as a samurai and there's a lot of correlation between uh, like the the republic jedi's combat style of being a little more of a katana base which is the the samurai fighting style with the katana and so i think there's a lot of connections there that people make as keanu would make a great jedi and i think he would make a great jedi but i'm also a, a little bit on board cassia with maybe not Revan or a young Revan, maybe an older Revan, if Revan had the chance to actually, you know, grow, grow old, which he is a bit cut short with the, uh, with the novel, the Revan novel. But I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I just think like I would find someone maybe more in their thirties or early forties. There's a particular but nothing against Keanu Reeves at all. Like he's healthier at his age than I will ever be in my life, you know. So there's I think definitely an older Revan. Yeah, there's he particular could... energy that Revan has in the Kotor games, like with his with his wit, with his humor, that's a little bit boyish. And so Keanu Reeves is, at least I think mentally, is more of a tired mentally not physically but like he he's very efficient with how he communicates and so i think that is what would be the hardest translation between keanu reeves and revan but i mean keanu reeves is a great actor maybe he can just nail it off the spot we don't we don't know we haven't seen it yet yeah maybe he could be a revan who after he realizes he's been reprogrammed, he can kind of have some of that humor, but with more depth, kind of a grizzled, like he's been through war and has to reconcile his war and Sith past with uh, his reprogrammed Jedi present. So I think he could definitely be an older Revan, you know, just maybe not how I see KOTOR, Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2 Revan. And Bastille is so young too, right? Like it'd be weird for old, you know, Keanu Reeves and like a 20-year-old Bastille. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah, because like I think sometimes like in the games they say Bastille is supposed to be 19. And I'm like, I respectfully disagree because if you look at it like Revan's supposed to be 35 and that's a little bit uh, it's a lot of an age gap I would say so I always in my mind kind of age up Bastila to be like 23 25 and then like Revan kind of like 35 like at most but I probably 30 or early 30s at the most mm-hmm. so Star Wars is all about these age gaps. I don't know why, but I that's mean, how it is. In the Phantom Menace, the the age gap was definitely drastic with with uh, Anakin being nine and Padme being fourteen. It wasn't as bad as they were older, um, just because at that point they were both mostly adults. But Bastila and 
and KOTOR is still kind of... And, and like, especially because of her, like, Jedi, how she's been raised as a Jedi. So it also kind of makes her a bit more young and naive in some ways. So I'm just like, ah, uh, let's have her be older. So it's kind of, you know, less... Awkward, weird. Kind of disturbing in some ways, you know? So, like, just kind of have a little bit of an easier, like, dynamic, you know? And it wouldn't be so, that big of a deal if the Revan was younger, too. Like, if, yeah. uh, if he was in his early 30s or late 20s with just the regular age Bastila, like, that wouldn't be as bad. But with, yeah. with like, a nearing 50-year-old Keanu Reeves, that would be, be a bit odd. Yeah. I mean, they can always age up the characters, but maybe after the sequel trilogy that they've had, like, 20s and 30s characters maybe they would want to age them up but i feel like star wars it's kind of like about young adults become adults and so i think like maybe just staying with that age like works best because that's kind of how it was like in the original game but we'll see so uh, thank you for your question, AJ Rosado underscore. And I think we are going to get ready to close out this episode. This has been Cassia. And this has been Coden. And you can find us at twitch.tv forward slash Conabon uh, for various Star Wars games streaming. And uh, you can also, as AJ Rosado done, you can uh, um, either email us or message us from the uh, the Ebonhawk podcast at gmail.com or you can f- do so on Instagram. And our Instagram is Ebonhawk Podcast. And our podcast can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes at the Ebonhawk. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shoreman. You can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. And our transition music was composed by Christian Walker. You can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. As a reminder, we had T-Bob and Nick Ashton with us. They're from For Mandalore, and uh, we discovered them on SoundCloud. So feel free to uh, give them a listen. And This has been episode 13 of The Ebon Hawk. Take care of yourselves, meatbags. We'll be back soon. Bye for now. <laughs>